Blog Talk Radio. Yo, 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 what's going on? My Take Radio, episode 18, Thursday, November 5th, 2009. I'm your host, Rich, and I am live from the home of the championship New York Yankees, New York City. Um, Before I go into this week's show, a little bit about uh, the New York Yankees beating the Philadelphia Phillies for their 27th World Series championship. Off the top, I'm going to say I'm glad they won, but frankly, I don't give a fuck. As a New Yorker, it is a prerequisite that I am going to support my New York teams, excluding the New York Knicks, who I despise utterly. But I really have the shortest attention span known to mankind, and I cannot sit through nine innings of fucking baseball. As a minority... I'm supposed to like baseball. It's supposed to be in my blood and in all this other shit. But uh, guess what? It's not. I really could give two shits less about baseball or what other uh, Hispanic sports are popular. Oh, yes, soccer or football. Don't give a fuck about that either. I'm all about violence. The sports I, I watch need to have violence. And the only one that has somewhat of some violence is hockey and uh The New York Rangers, I haven't watched them since they won the Stanley Cup, so that explains a lot. With that out of the way, yes, I would like to congratulate them for, you know, bringing a championship home to New York. The parade is tomorrow. I'm not going because I have something called a job that is far more fucking important. Nonetheless, let's get into some of tonight's topics. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, Fedor versus Rogers this Saturday on CBS, this week's Ultimate Fighter. Lesnar out of UFC 108, Dan Henderson, the Strike Force, the Osbournes hosting Raw, limited editions of Call of Duty and some of the newer games coming out. Are they worth the cost? I'm going to have a review for Paranormal Activity as well as the, the, the slow, creeping horror movie Trick or Treat. Also a little bit about the DSi XL. Um, not as angry about it this week based on what we're going to be talking about, so definitely stick around for that. And before I get into the rest of this week's topics, a little housekeeping. Uh, The chat room, which everyone loves so much while the show is in progress. Um, Always great to see you guys interacting with each other. I enjoy watching the audience uh, get to know each other, exchange ideas, um, discuss some of the show topics. But it seems that over the course of the show, 
it breaks down into a large contingent of dick jokes and other things that uh, detract from the topics of the show. I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask nicely because I'm a big fan of watching you guys interact in the chat room. Please, stick to the topic. Because if the shit starts to break down and i got to stop the show, so to speak, to babysit people in the chat room, I am going to either start not having the chat or I'm going to start banning motherfuckers for at least a week. So please, you know, you guys can joke around and it's great for the later part of the show, but try to stick on topic because it helps, you know, move the, show, the flow of the show along. Um, it's not directed at anybody in particular, so please do not feel you are to blame. I appreciate a good uh, dick joke and a good uh, sex joke ever so often as the next guy because, once again, the show is non-regulated. But please, let's try and, and keep it semi on topic, at least 95% of the time. Um, we got some guests coming up over the next few weeks. Um, we're going to be having some of the guys from OC Remix that provide uh, some of the music for the show, hopefully on for the show uh, probably for the 19th. Uh, next week I'm going to have stand-up comedian and brutal legend voice actor Brooks McBeth on the show. We're going to be talking about his work on Brutal Legend, also one of the, his upcoming movies, and uh, you know he's going to bring a little more comedy to the show, so definitely tune in for that next week. Um, definitely want to pick his brain more so on the voice work for Brutal Legend just because that's a game that had, you know, an all-star cast, and I wanted to definitely dig a little deeper into the process that went into making the game. So that should definitely be cool. The art contest will be starting with show 20. Um, it's going to be a two-part contest. You're going to have the logo and the banner. Um, a little bit off. I'll give you guys a little bit of info. Um, the banner, I'm going to put the specs up on the site, as well as what I'm looking for more or less with a logo. Uh, one of the prerequisites are to try and use the colors red and black, which are kind of the, the, the scheme for the site, especially going forward. So definitely some red and black has to be in there in some shape, way, or form. Also, there's going to be two prizes, one banner prize, one logo prize. Um, if the person who designs the logo also designs the award-winning banner, they will get both prizes. If not, the prizes will be split equally amongst the top uh, picks for each category. So the rules for that will be up by show 20. Everybody's eligible. You can enter from just the banner or just the logo or for both to partake. Once again, you can check those details out on mytakeradio.com. And with that, that's the housekeeping for this week. Um, if you want to call in for any of tonight's topics, telephone number is 347 324-3541. Again, that number, 347-324-3541. All right, let's talk some MMA first. Right off the bat, um, UFC 106 is coming together ever so nicely. That's for November 21st. The main event is going to be Forrest Griffin and Tito Ortiz. Um, it was confirmed that Anthony Rumble Johnson will be fighting just Josh Koscheck, which I'm actually looking forward to seeing. That's going to be a really great fight. Uh, Phil Baroni versus Amir Sadala was moved from the preliminary card into the main event. Uh, Luis Kane is going to fight Antonio Ruggiero Nogueira, a.k.a. Little Nog. And Dustin Hazlitt is going to fight the Armenian douchebag 
Carl Parisian, who I cannot fucking stand. Um, some of the uh, preliminary fights are Marcus Davis and Ben Saunders. Uh, Kendall Grove is also going to be fighting on the undercard, as is Jason Dent and George Sotteropoulos. Uh, UFC 105 is going to be live, I believe it is next week, um, from England. No, is it? From, yeah, it is from England. And it will be free on Spike TV. You get to see uh, the main event with Randy Couture fighting Brandon the Truth Vera. Definitely recommend you guys checking it out if you've got Spike TV because it's just going to be a great night of fights. And it's free. It's UFC on TV for free. Uh, Fedor versus Brett Rogers is Saturday on CBS. If you guys have any local CBS affiliate in your area, I recommend you check it out. If you're not sure that it's worth watching, head over to MyTakeRadio.com and check out the preview for Fedor versus Brett Rogers. Fedor is one of the most feared heavyweights in the sport today. Uh, the guy has, I believe it's a 30-1 and one record. His one loss came from a stoppage for a cut that he had, so for all intents and purposes, in combat, he is undefeated. He's an emotionless Russian wrecking machine that is coming in there to continue to establish dominance against Brett the Grim Rogers, who, after his devastating knockout of Andre Arlovsky, is looking to prove himself and show that he's not just a one-trick pony and that he could hang with the best. I think that that fight alone is going to be one of the best fights of the night, whether, you know, a lot of people are writing him off, are writing Brett Rogers off, that Fedor is going to whoop his ass. But you know what? I would definitely not put all my money on Fedor just because Rogers has dangerous stand-up. Fedor, of course, the only way that Brett Rogers will decisively lose this fight against Fedor is if he makes mistakes. Fedor is known for preying on the mistakes of his opponents and just putting them to sleep. Um, Jake Shields will also be on the card. He's going to be fighting Mayhem Miller. Um, if you don't know Mayhem Miller, you might you have to watch Bully Beatdown on MTV to acquaint yourself with this psychopath who is fighting for the middleweight championship. Uh, Gegard the Dreamcatcher Musasi will also be fighting um, against Sokaju the African Assassin. Uh, Fabricio Verdum will be one of the heavyweights fighting against Antonio. Get this Bigfoot Silva. Um, overall, it's going to be a great night of fights this Saturday. And once again, if you've got CBS, definitely check it out because it's free TV. So that is going to be something worth checking out. And if you've never seen Fedor fight, that's the chance to do it. Um, those of you that listened to the show last week know uh, my input on the Machida versus Shogun fight and know that I was very disheartened by the judging but overall, I expected a rematch, and MMA Junkie did confirm that Lyoto Machida will be having surgery sometime this week and should be able to start fighting while throwing punches in six weeks. So it looks like he'll be training mid-January. So I'm more than sure that a fight with him and Shogun will happen sometime in February or even March. So that will be some unfinished business that will be settled. Um, before I get into the Ultimate Fighter recap, Kimbo Slice is allegedly going to be fighting on the Ultimate Fighter finale against Houston Alexander. He recently um, got his uh, athletic license renewed, but he has not confirmed that he will be fighting Kimbo Slice at the Ultimate Fighter finale. Um, 
I personally think that Houston Alexander will be a great matchup for Kimbo Slice. Houston Alexander has great stand-up, and I think that he will be able to have an exciting and competitive fight with Kimbo. But one thing that does concern me is the fact that who knows what Kimbo's learned since the Ultimate Fighter finished. One of the things that you have to take into consideration was the, the show was six weeks. They've had more than enough time since the show has ended to tighten up their game. You know, so I'm more than sure that Kimbo has learned um, a more well-rounded ground game. So if Houston Alexander thinks he's just going to come in there and stand and bang, he may be in for a, for a rude awakening if Kimbo has learned any semblance of a ground game. So we'll see what happens. Now, this week's Ultimate Fighter. Um, the last fight, of course, was our good old buddy Marcus Jones, the sensitive big guy, and his fight was against Matt Wessel. This was the last preliminary fight. Now, Marcus Jones is the last fighter that Rampage had, and over the course of the episode, you know, they prayed a little bit on Marcus Jones' sensitivity. You know, they, they did a spotlight on each fighter. They, of course, pulled a little gag on Marcus Jones that he did not respond to all too well. Marcus Jones just is a, a, a monster of a human being. You know, there's a guy who, you know, comes from, a, from an athletic background. Um, he was a good football player. You know, it was just one of those things that he felt MMA was his calling, and that's where, that's where he ended up going. I mean, there's a guy who, who, was on, who shared a, a line with John Lynch, who's one of the, you know, one of the most dangerous guys in the NFL, along with Derek Brooks. You know, he, he's, he's in good company. He was a first-round draft pick for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The guy's no slouch. And I knew that this was either going to end very, very badly or very, very quickly, because either it was going to be really bloody or somebody was just going to get put to sleep. And Marcus Jones, like I said, when they pulled the gag on him, he said that when he gets out of that cage, he's taking somebody's arm with him. And I got to tell you, he wasn't fucking around. As soon as the bell rang, Wessel, who gave up seven and a half inches of reach and six inches of height, comes rushing out. And it, it just doesn't end well. He just gets mauled by Marcus Jones. Marcus Jones got him in the clinch, took him down. He did the mount. Marcus takes his back, trying to go for the rear naked choke, ends up going for the arm bar, and Rampage does not get shut out of this week's Ultimate Fighter. One of his guys actually goes into the next round. So, of course, it wouldn't be an Ultimate Fighter episode without Rampage, you know, pulling a joke on one of his guys, and it was with titties, and it ended up being, you know, him, you know, using the titty jokes, and he caught the guy on his wrong day. Mind you, this is one of his own team members, and, you know, titties didn't like it too much, and him and Rampage had a little face-to-face, -face. and this, once again, before I go any further, brings me to the same thing I was telling you about. There's way too much fucking joking around on this show. You, you have one of those things where, you know, once again, it's a reality show. We all understand that. And I love, you know, that when there's appropriate comedy. But when fighters are on the brink of fucking up coaches, that's a bit of a problem. Because even though 
in Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock's Ultimate Fighter season, a lot of people didn't like Ken Shamrock, the way he presented himself, or his coaching. There was never an instance where somebody got in his face and there was that, that threat of a coach and a, and a, and a, and a teammate fighting. It, it was unheard of. And it seems to be the, the theme this season, which, you know, you may consider it good television, you may not, but I personally think that, you know, this solidifies that some guys just can't be coaches. And you got to ask yourself, is the gamble of good television worth, you know, risking someone's career? Because you got these guys, they go in there expecting to learn, and look at them, they're all, they're all losing. And I honestly don't see them taking a lot away from Rampage's tutelage other than, you know, being able to break doors and funny jokes. There's no, there's no um, substance to his coaching. You know, these guys aren't saying, hey, man, I learned an arm bar, or hey, I learned how to do a slam, you know, from training with Rampage or things of that nature. The only thing that we've learned is that you can't have titties when you're on the show, you can't be sensitive when you're on the show, and don't jerk off in the shower because it'll be told on national television. These are the things that I learned this season. I didn't learn anything about the fighters personally or any further background. All I learned was the little spotlights that they had on them for each, for each episode, which, you know, unfortunately is the nature of the beast. And with that said, I'm going to end my little rant there and move it, move it on because the next round of fights were decided between Dana, Rampage, and Rashad, and of course that couldn't be decided with some shit talking, but at the end of the day, the matchups were made, and it's going to be Roy Nelson and Justin Wren, Brendan Schaub and John Madsen, James McSweeney and Matt Mitrione, which I have a feeling James McSweeney is going to take that, and Daryl Schoonover versus Marcus Jones. Now, next week, the fight that's going to happen is Nelson and Wren, but they're already playing it off that Matt may have injured himself, which may or may not, because they tease this shit all the time, open the door for Kimbo to come back into the fight. So we're going to see what happens. At the, end of the, at the end of the season, Rashad got almost all his guys in, and Rampage has one guy, which, not for nothing, Marcus Jones is a fucking maniac, so he may go all the way. But we'll see what happens over the next, the next few weeks. In terms of Nelson and Wren, while Justin Wren had a great showing, I think that Roy Nelson's going to continue to use his fucking bowling ball of a stomach to advance into the next round. He's going to use his craftiness, his veteran technique, and his just fucking fatness to get ahead into the next round. So we'll see what happens next week. I personally see it being possibly McSweeney and Nelson and Jones definitely in the semi, you know, in the semis, either Nelson and Jones or Sweeney and Jones. But I, those are my three picks so far. I, I, I want to pick a fourth guy. I, I want to say that Wren would have had a shot, but not against Nelson. So we'll see what happens next week. Moving on. Uh, ah, November 10th. UFC will release the Ultimate 100's Greatest Fights. It's going to be released on DVD. It's going to be an 8-DVD box set. It's going to retail for 100 bucks. There's going to be a numbered and limited edition collector's box set. Um, if you want to be introduced into the history of the UFC and want to see some of the greatest fights without having to resort to YouTube, this is a definite must-buy. Uh, six-disc Blu-ray set 
will be available December 8th, which I will be picking up. It's going to cost 119 bucks. You're going to get 25 hours of knockout submissions and UFC fights. You're going to have fights from Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, GSP, Tito Ortiz. You're going to see some of the classic fights that made the UFC what it is today. So if you got a, a $100 in your pocket and you're a fan of MMA, definitely pick up UFC's Ultimate 100 Greatest Fights. Um, definitely my take radio endorsed for sure. If not, and you're a high def fanatic like I am and a couple of the other listeners, then wait till December 8th and pick up the Blu-ray box set. And a little bit of what the fuck MMA news. John War Machine Copenhaver, or as he legally changed his name to War Machine, has decided to, instead of doing MMA, he has decided to become a porn actor. So there's a guy that's been fighting in MMA for seven years, and he decides, I'm going to do porno. So he did an interview with MiddleEasy.com, and they asked him, you know, why are you moving into the porn industry? These were his quotes. My priority right now is to make good money and feed the war machine. I hate when motherfuckers talk in the third person. It just makes me want to gouge their eyes out and, and piss in their eye sockets. It, it's... Why are, if you're not the rock, don't refer to yourself in the third person. It's not cool. It's not fucking exciting. It makes you a douche. Moving on. He says, I've been fighting for seven years in MMA. I make a good living, but I don't make enough money to save. I'm never going to be able to have enough to buy a house or buy a cool car. Right now, my main priority is making money. I want to do my best in the porn industry, and I want to try and be one of the top, top porn guys. How exactly are you a top, top porn guy as opposed to a bottom, bottom porn guy? How is that? So he goes, right now porn is more important than MMA at the moment. I love to fight, and I'm always going to fight regardless of what happens. Before I go into the rest of this interview, here's a few things that, that, you know, they, 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 they rub me the wrong way. Excuse the pun. The fact is, War Machine was on The Ultimate Fighter. Tons of potential, great look. Just You can tell that he was definitely fucked up mentally. Like There was a lot of things wrong with him. As soon as he got in the UFC, you know, his performances were lackluster, and then you know, his mouth got him kicked out of the UFC. You know, his um, comments about the Rampage Jackson you know, car rampage incident uh, were one of the factors. The other factor, of course, was during the the death of Evan Tanner, he made some quote-unquote inappropriate comments, as well as some comments directed at um, presidential candidate at the time, Barack Obama. All these things tied together and ended up getting John Copenhaver bounced out of the UFC, at which point um, TNA Wrestling went after him for using the name War Machine, and he, rather than, you know, do something like, hey, you know, try and settle it amicably, decided to go and pull a page out of the Ultimate Warrior's handbook and legally change his name to War Machine. So his license reads, first name War, last name Machine. Anybody who thinks that cool, go fuck yourself. There's nothing cool about you calling yourself War Machine. I mean, you know, I see in the chat that somebody said that his name is perfect for porn. Do you really want to read, and now, the mightiest, 
the mightiest bag in the West, War Machine. It just sounds awful. It sullies the name of a perfectly good Marvel character. It gets better. It obviously looks like he already did his first uh, porno movie, and this was his description of the experience. I was nervous as hell, more nervous than any other fight I've ever had, so nervous and terrified. It's no joke. It was crazy. Luckily, when I got on set, the crew was super cool. They were MMA fans. The girl that I shot my first scene with, Riley Steele, she was really pretty, and she was really nice. She made me feel comfortable. Porn is like fighting. You're always ready before, but once you get punched, you're fine. When I touched her, I felt way better, but until I made contact, I felt nervous as hell. This sounds like the ramblings of a fucking kindergartner. Riley Steele was really pretty. She was really nice. She made me feel comfortable. Porn is like fighting. Uh, look, unless you're, 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 you're sword fighting with your dick, MMA and pornography are not the fucking same. The only thing, maybe there's a little rolling around and a little body-to-body -body contact. But guess what? You can get a black eye in MMA and a pink sock in porn. Not the same thing. It's a, a, it's a fucking disaster. It's like, I'm not mad at the dude for trying to go out there and make his money. I see no problem with that. Nothing wrong with it. Go make your money. If you want to make your money in porn, that's fine. But when you continue to equate MMA and pornography on the same playing field, that's just fucking stupid. You're either an athlete or a porn star, but don't try and play it off like you're both. You are not because your fighting career was not that great. So as much as I thought War Machine was cool, he has lost a lot of cool points in my book. So tough break, War Machine. Let's hope that you don't get any STDs and the next time I see you is in an octagon and not on Red Tube, Porno Tube, or any of the other tubes that involve flesh on flesh. With that said, I don't even want to discuss it anymore because it gives me the fucking heebie-jeebies. I want to fucking puke on myself right now because she was really pretty and she was really nice. Fucking kindergartner. If that's how you describe sex, thank God you, I don't have to fucking see you on my television screen anymore. At the top of the show, I said that Brock Lesnar is out of UFC 108. Uh, Shane Carwin posted an update on his website today. And he said that Brock Lesnar has mono and that the UFC has told me that I have earned the title shot, but I will have to wait a little while longer. I hope, and he's, he's said the following, I hope Brock gets well soon. I highly suggest he get into a Max Muscle store, which conveniently is his sponsor, because they have the best advice and supplements to support that advice. It really is the only way to make it through the grueling weather and training we live through. So Carwin proceeded to make not only a little shameless plug for his commercial, but shit on Brock Lesnar at the same time. Not for nothing, but isn't mono like one of those fucking diseases you get in fucking high school? Did you get mono from your wife, Brock Lesnar, really, dude? Or are you just finding every possible excuse not to fight? I mean, first they said he had the flu. Then he said it was swine flu. Now it's mono. I'm not going to say that he's not sick, because he probably is, but... It, it, it's really convenient that it's coming along right before the fight. But you know what? I'm not going to speculate on it because in doing so, I would be feeding into the bullshit. But I personally think 
that this fight should have been a fight to start the new year anyway because you got so many great potential matchups going on right now into at least January that you can push it to February. So Brock Lesnar, if you're really fucking dying from swine flu slash mono slash runny colon slash, you know, breast implant that bursts from your wife's chest on your face, then please, you know, feel better because I definitely want to see you defend that title at 100% against Carwin. Whether you're going to win or not is another story. Uh, to close out this week's MMA news, it seems that Kevin Eole of Yahoo Sports is saying that Dan Henderson has signed a contract with Strikeforce. Uh, Henderson is actually going to be on television this weekend because he is going to be cornering Sokaju on the Strikeforce uh, CBS event. Dana White has gone as far as saying that he has signed he stated, I guarantee you 1,000% that Dan Henderson is signed by Strikeforce. Dan and I have been friends, and we will continue to be friends. But it just didn't work out, and he went to Strikeforce. But then it seems that Scott Coker from Strikeforce said, honestly, I got a call from Dan's management a couple of days ago telling me Dan had turned down the UFC's offer. I guess the UFC made an offer and put a deadline on it. They turned it down and were, talk and were calling to talk to me. But I told them, I have this huge fight, and there's a tremendous amount going on, and I couldn't really deal with it at this point. So right now, Henderson isn't with the UFC, and he may or may not be with Strikeforce. Now, while Henderson is a great fighter, you know, his, his disgustingly sick knockout of Bisping was, you know, one of the highlights uh, of this year, I don't think that the money he was quote-unquote asking for is – something that he should be earning. I'm not saying that he's, you know, not deserving of getting more money, but I just don't feel that he doesn't bring any kind of level of excitement to, to the cage. I mean, I watched him fight um, Bisping, and that was a, a highlight reel knockout, but his fucking coaching on The Ultimate Fighter was like watching paint dry. Let me tell you something. I can have more, more of an interesting conversation watching an episode of The Fucking Wiggles and enjoying that than watching Dan Henderson fight. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's one of those things where he's a good fighter, but he just doesn't have, he doesn't have that it factor that makes you go, holy shit, let me stop what I'm doing and watch Dan Henderson fight. Dan Henderson fights to me, and it's, and it's terrible for me to say, are usually some type of a bathroom break because they're really not exciting. And, and, it, and it pains me to say it, and I really hope he goes to strike force and gets challenged so that he can add a level of excitement to his game. Maybe it's just my personal bias in him fighting some really boring guys. You know, Rich Franklin, boring. Bisping, good shit talker, but at the end of the day, boring. There was, real, there was really no high level of excitement that wanted me to go and watch his fights. So I really do wish him the best of luck in Strike Force, and um, I'm more than sure they're going to try and make him fight Fedor at some point because, you know, you haven't lived until you fought Fedor. Fedor is like the new pair of Nikes that you must own. Everybody wants to fight Fedor, period. So you know what? Henderson would be a, a good challenge for Fedor because of his strong wrestling background. He's got heavy hands, and he could also pose a problem. But you know what? Let's get past this Saturday and see if Fedor defeats Rogers before we start talking about Hendo fighting Fedor in the near future. With that said, let's uh, close out the MMA news and get into some wrestling news. Um, I'm not going to shit on WWE this week. I'm not. Shocking, isn't it? It seems that this week they had uh, 
Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne host Raw, and it was surprisingly good, I have to say. They moved a lot of the storylines forward. They started setting up some potential feuds for Survivor Series, which I think is one of those pay-per-views that's right up there with the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania as a must-see. Um, I remember being a kid, and one of the things I always looked forward to was Survivor Series on Thanksgiving. It used to be usually the day after or that Sunday. Um, Survivor Series, for those of you not familiar with it, are usually teams of four-on-four, four, usually good guys and bad guys. In this case, it may be a team of Raw superstars versus a team of SmackDown superstars uh, fighting in an elimination-style match with uh, the winner being declared as the final person standing. So, with that being said, I think that the setup leading into this year's Survivor Series is pretty good. I mean, there are some matches that have been, you know, beaten to death, but I think the overall leading up to Survivor Series is going to look pretty interesting. I think I'm going to be discussing some of the potential matchups um, over the coming weeks, and I'm actually kind of excited to, to see something fresh on Raw, so... Let's hope that they continue the trend. Uh, TNA, of course, signed Hulk Hogan, which I discussed last week. And little by little, the uh, juggernaut that is Hulkamania is slowly chugging its way through TNA. Whether it's going to be good or bad, it's something that will be seen in the long run. Nonetheless, until I start seeing Hogan appear on television, like on TNA Impact or at a pay-per-view, I'm not going to make any rash judgments. So with that being said... We'll see what happens over the coming weeks, and I will be discussing TNA um, a little further. I'm also working on hopefully getting some guests, more so from TNA than from WWE, just because their uh, press office is like trying to call the president. So who knows? Maybe I'll get lucky. Not often do I reference the boys over at TMZ, but they put up a story about one of my favorite wrestlers, uh, Chris Jericho, getting into a little trouble recently. He was doing a Q&A session at the Sacramento Film Festival two weeks ago, and during the Q&A, he uh, called one of the moderators Haji several times. Of course, the word is often used as a slur for Middle Easterners. He also called one of the hosts a fag. Of course, Chris Jericho did get yanked by the balls, and he issued a statement saying, after seeing the video, I realized some inappropriate comments were made, and I apologize if I offended anybody. Jericho continues, just know that everyone on stage was having a blast, and we all shared a drink and a laugh afterwards. The good news is I got my wish of being posted on TMZ. Now, here's the thing. We all say stupid, inappropriate shit. We all do. We all say racially charged uh, phrases. We all do. But here's the thing. You have to ask yourself, were the people he was talking to offended? Was he in character? If he was in character, then you can say one of two things. Chris Jericho, you're a douche for being in character during a film festival. Or you can say that the people were in on the gag. But like anything else, it just shows that people are too soft-skinned nowadays. It's, you know, okay, he called the guy Haji. The guy, if he was offended, I'm more than sure he would have said something. If he wasn't offended, eh, hey, Chris, you know, don't say that. That's all it takes. In terms of him calling one of the other hosts a fag, look, we all know that the word is offensive. We all know it. We've all called somebody a fag at some point. 
whether it's joking around, don't be a fag, blah, 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 fag as in cigarette, which is what they call it in England. You know, there's a multitude of different connotations for that word. And if he used it in a context that was offensive, then by all means, you know, something should be said. What I don't like is the fact that this shit happens and sites like TMZ jump on it. I swear, I think TMZ has a fucking cameraman everywhere. I think they have cameramen in fucking hotel bathrooms. They got cameramen in fucking bathroom stalls. They got cameramen hiding in the fucking ceiling. Because where do they get half of this shit? How, how did they decide to be at the Sacramento Film Festival? How, how's that something that, that's even remotely on their radar? I can understand, oh, Lindsay Lohan is fucking blowing a guy in the alley. Quick, put it, post it on TMZ. That's relevant. But it's fucking Chris Jericho. He's a fucking wrestler. Really? Really, TMZ? And, of course, you know, it's one of those things that, me personally, it just shows that our obsession with celebrities is just fucking never-ending. Because TMZ, I go, I've gone on TMZ, I can honestly say, in my life three times. Once, when Jeff Hardy got arrested. Once for this Chris Jericho thing, and I think once when Stone Cold was arrested for beating up Deborah, I think that was the third time, either there or the smoking gun. But nonetheless, TMZ has zero appeal to me because all they do is run around taking pictures of people in real precarious positions. And, you know, it's, it's really fucking scummy what they do, and they write all these little fucking articles, and Paris Hilton does the same shit, but you know what? I'm not going to shit on that dude, because he'll start blogging about me, and you know how I am anti this and anti that, and his little pink-haired ass will come and try and find me and challenge me to a fight. So let me not offend any of the celebrity blogs before they come after my little show. That being said, I'm not even going to continue to go into this story, not because... There's more to it, but frankly, because I don't give a shit. Our good buddy, Kevin Nash, another favorite of mine, was recently suspended from TNA Wrestling because of some comments he made on air. Well, he actually made the comments to a live audience because it appears that while he was involved in a match, Chris Sabin, one half of the Motor City Machine Guns, was dropped inappropriately out of the ring and and nearly suffered a neck injury. And, of course, he was very upset and he voiced the, his displeasure to the live crowd, which wasn't the most apropos thing to do because he did make some inflammatory comments, but he did meet with TNA President Dixie Carter, and she proceeded to suspend him. So Kevin Nash is on suspension. I don't know how long. He didn't really go into it because he made the post on Facebook, and, of course, that post was taken and put all over the Internet. But... I actually miss seeing Kevin Nash on TV, and I'll tell you why. He, even though he moves as slow as molasses when he fucking walks to the ring, he can't even run down to the ring. He fucking strolls down. His mic work and his fucking comedic timing, impeccable. He knows how to say the right things at the right times and slip those little one-liners in that just put a smirk on your face. It's funny because... You'd look at him, and you'd expect that this guy is just going to beat the piss out of people, but he has really great comedic timing. If you see the movie The Longest Yard, which he was in, his character, hilarious when they switched the uh, 
the steroids and gave him estrogen pills and he got in contact with his sensitive side. Hilarious stuff. And it just showed that he just wasn't a one-dimensional wrestler, but he was also, you know, just a good storyteller. And that's one of the things that I really hope to see him do more so in TNA. I really don't want to watch him wrestle because, honestly, his wrestling is god-awful. And nine times out of ten when he power bombs somebody, I think he's going to end up fucking killing them. But I think that in terms of mic work, he'd make a good, you know, a good mouthpiece for, for a young dude who's shitty on the mic. He'd make a good, uh, you know, the security dude that's just there kind of behind the scenes. He's that good of a dude. He can't, I'm, I mean, I can say he'd make a good manager, but the problem is the motherfucker's seven feet tall. So there's really nobody that he could manage unless it's somebody as tall as he is that would make it look right. Because here's this ginormous dude fucking managing. It's like a ventriloquist and a dummy, pretty much, if, if you do it like that. And it'll just look really mismatched. But I really hope that they use him more so as just promo work or even commentating because he's just great on the mic. It's just his wrestling, and he's just showing his age. The motherfucker has long gray hair. I remember him wrestling Bob Backlund when I was a kid. I remember him wrestling Bret Hart. Bret Hart's had like two strokes. He's in the Hall of Fame, so you can honestly imagine how old Kevin Nash is when I'm talking about him wrestling Bob Backlund, you know, or Shawn Michaels in fucking WWE in your house. You know, this is going back now, like, years now. I've been watching him wrestle, I'd have to say, at least 15 years. And, you know, I think there's a point where you really got to hang up the boots and find something to do. And I think either mic work or, you know, commentating where he's not in the ring as much would be beneficial. But I really hope to see him back in TNA sooner rather than later and hope that this suspension doesn't lead him to leave TNA and go back to WWE to become Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Because, you know, we're all waiting with bated breath for that to happen. Nonetheless, uh, the last bit of wrestling news is uh, good old Jeff Hardy, who I talked about a few weeks ago, was arrested. And uh, he was supposed to appear before a hearing uh, recently, but it was going to be continued on December 2nd. His lawyer did appear, and it appears that uh, they didn't have any of his drug test results in from the lab and they're going to find out if he did or did not commit the crimes, and if he did, the case would move on to a grand jury. He faces the following charges. Felony possession of cocaine. Felony drug trafficking of opium. Felony possession with intent of redistribute of a Schedule Three drug. That's two counts. Maintaining a dwelling for drug use and or distribution. Possession of drug paraphernalia, which is a misdemeanor. They said if his case... If he does get indicted, they'll move the case to superior court to be tried, and he may have the opportunity to, to make a plea bargain with the prosecution, or he will serve whatever jail time is um, applied to his sentence. I honestly think that if there's really concrete evidence that he did some, some foul shit, which you know I'm not going to say he did or he didn't, but if he did, he's probably going to cop the plea, do a year, maybe do a year or two. If he's a first-time offender, maybe get some community service, and that's it. So we'll see what happens. Now, let's get into some gaming news. A lot of stuff happening in, in the world of games. Um, right off the bat, um, if you've been to MyTakeRadio.com recently, you'll see that I posted um, a little bit uh, regarding the God of War 3 Ultimate Edition. 
which is going to have actually a lot of cool stuff. It's going to be packed in a sculptured replica of Pandora's box, and it should be available um, in March of 2010. You can actually, of course, pre-order the Ultimate Edition from select retailers, and once you pre-order it, you will get a voucher to download the God of War 3 E3 demo. When you purchase the Ultimate Edition, which will run you 100 bucks, you're going to get God of War 3, a limited edition art book. You're also going to get some digital content, for, as well as the director's cut of God of War Unearthing the Legend. It's going to be a movie documentary depicting the history of the God of War franchise. I don't know how good or bad that will be. You're also going to get downloadable music with the God of War trilogy soundtrack and the God of War Heavy Metal EP. And, of course, you're going to get access to the God of War quote-unquote combat arena, which I'm more than sure is something similar to the Weapon X arena from the Wolverine game, which will contain exclusive environments and up to seven unique challenges. You'll also get uh, Kratos skin Dominus, which will be available for download from the PlayStation Network. Now, one of the things I wanted to get into on this week's discussion is the fact that these limited edition box sets and these limited edition versions of games are really, I have love-hate relationships with them. Take, for instance, the Call of Duty Modern Warfare limited edition slash ultimate edition slash oh my god fucking night vision goggles set 149 bucks you get night vision goggles you get the game and a plethora of other shit batman arkham asylum Ooh, look you get a giant batarang oh boy 100 bucks or whatever it was 149 you know you go through all these these box sets even the street fighter 4 box set which i bought which you know it looked pretty cool. It sounded pretty cool until I opened up a statue, opened up expecting a really nice size statue, and I got practically a Ryu statue that's the size of my fucking hand. The fact of the matter is that these limited edition box sets are another shameless ploy by game manufacturers to beat us over the head and get our money. I mean, at the end of the day, there's really not many box sets out there that give you something tangible that you say, fuck, this box set was worth the money. You know, I picked up the DJ Hero Renegade Edition. First off, it's 200 bucks. So me parting with $200 of my hard-earned money was definitely not something I wanted to do. You get the case, which is also a stand. You get this special edition turntable with quote-unquote burnt, you know, gold accents. And you get the Jay-Z and Eminem exclusive CD, which has no new music from either of them, just one song, to be quite honest. Everything else is stuff that's already been released. And, you know, I really sat down after playing the game for a while, and I was like, you know, they could have released an aftermarket case slash stand for 20 or 30 bucks. And I would have been fine with that. But the allure of some of the other shit, which I expected would be a lot cooler, because I honestly thought that the Pac-Man CD would have had more uh, mixed music as opposed to shit I've already heard. I honestly feel that the box set or the Renegade edition was not worth $200. The game itself, when you buy it, is $119. If they would have said, all right, for an extra 40 bucks, 
for for 150 total, you'll get the case and all that shit. I wouldn't have felt so bad. But afterwards, I didn't really feel I got the most value for my 200 bucks. But you know, it's too late. I bought it. I I'm enjoying the game regardless. But if I could go back and do it all over again, I'd fucking buy a folding table in Walmart, and I'd buy the fucking DJ Hero game by itself. See, the Pandora's box set. It's it looks nice. You know, the photos I posted on mytakeradio.com will reflect the fact that it does look nice. I'm not going to dispute that. But, you know, is the art book really worth that much and the two CDs or downloadable music? Is the extra skin worth that much? I mean, limit, I'd like to actually say that the best execution of a box set limited edition was Blaze Blue. And even that was kind of eh. Because, you know, you got the music, you got... um the featurette, and it was still the same price as the regular game. You just either had the option of buying it or waiting a month or so and buying the regular disc, which in, in some respects was kind of counterproductive because if the limited edition's out there and it's 60 bucks, fucking just leave it out there and, and let it sell. Don't fucking tell people, oh, you can buy the one without all the limited stuff for the same price because it's fucking stupid. But Box sets and limited editions, to me, are really not all they're cut out to be. I think that Modern Warfare, with the inclusion of the night vision goggles... I mean, night vision goggles, when you buy them, I've seen them on eBay, they go for a decent amount of money. So, you know, you get a, a, cool, a cool gadget, which you can use to be Sam Fisher for Halloween. But what else are you going to do with them? Look out the window? I mean, if I had a pair of them... I'd probably drive around and pull up into like a park or something and use them to see what kind of illicit and nasty things are going on at night. But other than that, there's really not much else that's, that's worth spending $149 for. But we'll see what happens. It looks like we got our first caller, and it may be slick. You're on the air. What's good, man? What's going on, sir? Uh, first... Uh, on the box sets, I really wanted to talk on that because when you went into it, I, you know, just the rage started boiling inside. <clears throat> One thing, I do agree with you on the Blaze Blue set that that was a decent, you know, collective edition, but the actual retail value of the non-collective version is 10 bucks less. It's just that a lot of stores are charging the same price. But it's ah. supposed to be it's supposed to be 10 bucks cheaper. Oh, well, way to go, retailers, for once again shoving it up our asses. Nice. Yeah. Well, that was honestly, the whole thing of waiting a month for it that you could get it for 10 bucks less. Ugh. No, no value whatsoever. Well, it's funny because, it, and it's interesting that you called to, to discuss this, because if I remember correctly, when we were both looking to get Arkham Asylum, you almost pulled the trigger on the box set and when you saw it, you're like, this shit ain't worth all this money. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that box set because I was under the impression that that was a metal battering. Right. Learning that it was plastic and learning that it was mounted, like you couldn't even, even as a plastic freaking battering, you couldn't throw it because it has a freaking stand attached to it. I basically said, fuck that. I would... I would really not want to see you flinging a plastic batarang at anyone. <laughs> that that would not go well. 
But I think that overall, you and, and you know, that's one of the things that bothers me. I, I really think that game companies sit there and try and figure out more ways to fuck the customer. Because they, they go and they say, all right, what do we got laying around the office? Well, we got this art book, and we got this music. All right, fuck it, let's throw that in there. How are we going to package it? Yeah, let's just fucking make some really weird-looking box. Let me tell you something. I was one of the fuckheads that bought Halo 3 with the fucking goddamn Halo helmet. Like an you mean asshole. the helmet that could only fit on a dog's head? Yes. I bought it with a fucking helmet, like a dummy, because I'm like, oh, this will be fucking awesome. I can put it on my bookshelf. It'll look really nice. I get the helmet, and I'm like, okay, it's really nice, whatever. A month later, I walk into GameStop, and the helmet is $79.99 instead of the 130 I fucking paid for it. So, besides the fact that no one bought the shit, except me and probably a handful of other fucking idiots, they practically ended up selling it for the same price that you could have bought the game. It's like, what the hell, man? Like, honestly, and I'm more than sure people are going to give me shit. They're like, dude, did you really need to buy the one with the helmet? Did you really? You know what it is? When you look at anything and photography... It really does fuck with people. A good example, you go into McDonald's. You're like, oh, what am I going to get? You see a picture of the Big Mac. When you see a photo of that Big Mac, doesn't it look like the most beautiful burger you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> it does, right? And then you, you, you get like, the Big Mac, you open the bread, and it looks like a fucking sausage patty. Thank you. When you get it, you're like, you're joking, right? This is the worst shit ever. And that's, what, that's how I felt after I got the Halo thing. Because when you look at it, I'm thinking, oh, the, the helmet has probably like little metal accents. or It's fucking plastic. It is all plastic. I, it, I, look, you telling me that the helmet fits on a dog while amusing, I had no intention of putting on a Halo helmet whatsoever. <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought it would look cool. And that's the thing that, that, that irks me. It's like... These fucking companies, they're like, all right, and like I said, they probably go, all right, what can we put in there? So, you know, let's take a game that's really popular. What can we put in there? Oh, you get this stuff. If I, if I remember correctly, didn't fucking GTA 4 come with, like, a book bag? GTA 4 came with a lockbox, which was pretty well made because I have it right here. It came with a bag, it came with an art book, and it came with a CD. A music CD, so yeah, it was pretty much worth the money. You think it was worth the money? How much was that shit? I think it was like, I think it was eighty or ninety. So, a lockbox, which you can buy in Target for twenty bucks, and it's supposed to do what? Keep your game safe? Oh no, they're not going to steal this game because it's in a lockbox. Look, I, I mean, I, I can understand your, 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 you know, your, you, you want to justify your purchase, but none of these, none of these box sets are worth the fucking money. You see this, you see this fucking DJ Hero box set that I bought 
fucking, you go online, what's online? The fucking CDs. You can download the CDs. You know, yeah, you're not paying for them, which, you know, My Take Radio does not advocate the download of copyrighted material. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, you know, you know, you gotta take into you take gotta take into consideration it's shit we've already heard. So I paid two hundred bucks for a suitcase with legs. Well, the only reason why I said the GTA one was worth it is because it's one of the few collector's editions where the extra shit like was quality made. Like the last box okay. wasn't made of plastic; it's actual metal. I can hit somebody with it and hurt them. Okay. I mean, I wanted, I wanted the Batarang to be metal because I would have, you know, dealt with the the um the SUVs of those guys that are always in your neighborhood. <laughs> no, but 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 honestly, the lockbox, uh, other than it being made of metal and looking cool, did it did it really do anything to sway you to that when you open that you're like, wow, this was worth all the fucking money I spent. Honestly. No. Thanks. No. That's that's what I'm getting at. I feel that, you know, when you want to and this is the other thing too, there's an oversaturation of exclusive shit. Everything has a limited edition. There's a limited ed- look, the, the limited edition Pokemon, limited edition this, limited edition that. And it, it, it sullies the value of, of these games because you're expecting this great shit. And then what happens is when you say limited edition to a kid it's like fucking. It's like showing them a Playboy. They're like, oh my god! They're showing them McDonald's. Yo, they get on their mom. Oh, you gotta buy this. And the mothers are like, oh fuck, man, this shit's ninety bucks. And the kid will not accept anything less. And you know what happens? That that shit that they clamored for thrown in a corner. You know where my Halo Three fucking helmet is? Packed in a box somewhere. It's not, well, it's not I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that every once in a while, there's one. While it's not necessary to buy it, it might be worth your money. I mean, taking a more recent example, Demon Souls. Nobody got it because it's hard as hell to even find the fucking game. But okay. the collector's edition, which was ten bucks more, that's your 150-page strategy guide. That game is hard as fucking shit. And on Halloween, they made it even harder. Okay. Like, take, take the game that beats the shit out of you on the first level. On the tutorial, you get murdered and make it ten times harder on Halloween. Okay. This came well, and Lee said, here, here's something that will show you how to play the fucking game a little bit better. That's okay. worth my ten bucks. You had to pay for that? You don't pay for any strategy guide, dude. I mean, you can get one online, oh, oh, but... Oh, oh okay. This is a I printed see. strategy guide. Oh, okay. Well, that's the other thing, too. And, and that's one thing that that annoys me, and this leads me into another, another tirade against GameStop. <laughs> Every fucking time you go in there, they tell you, oh, you can save 15% on the game. You can save 10% on the game if you buy the strategy guide. Motherfucker, the strategy guide is the 10% I'm supposed to be saving. Hello? Save 10%. How much is the strategy guide? 10 bucks. What the fuck savings is there? 50%. How about keep your fucking strategy guide? I'm going to GameFAQs. Suck a dick, GameStop. No, I mean, think about it. 
that's another thing. Between limited editions and fucking strategy guides, you get nickel and dimed everywhere. Everywhere. But nonetheless, we can, uh, we can go into this uh, a lot longer, but I'm not going to do it because there's way too much other shit to cover this week. You got anything else to add about the uh, limited editions, my friend? Uh, really, the only time I, I really will spend the money on it is if there's some kind of really cool art book coming with it. Like, if it's Final Fantasy and it's got an art book, I'll probably buy it. If it's Street Fighter and it's got an art book, I'll probably buy it. But other than that, you know, I'm taking the standard shit, especially since the real truth is limited editions and buying that shit is the reason why we pay 60 bucks now instead of 50 because the game company said, oh, look, you'll pay extra money for this shit, so let's just start charging more. Yep. The minute that we, that we gladly opened our wallets and, and cranked out $60, it, it was game over. Exactly. Well, we'll see what happens. All right, man. All right, my friend. Thank you for the call. I'll talk to you later. You got it, sir. Later. Peace. All right, speaking of DJ Hero, which I was ranting about, um, of course, no sooner than the game comes out that you can get the extended mix packs, which will feature all of me with 50 Cent and Mary J. Blige versus Radio Gaga by Queen, along with Dare by the Gorillas versus Can't Trust It by Public Enemy. That's coming out uh, this Thursday. Uh, November 24th, you'll get the David Guetta mix pack, which will be released for the game containing remixes of When Love Takes Over with Kelly Rowland. Uh, and Sexy Chick with Akon, and On the Dance Floor featuring Will I Am. Of course, you're going to be able to be raped conveniently by Xbox Live for 480 Microsoft points, and you will be beaten over the head by the PlayStation Store for 599, or you can get each mix individually for the Wii for 300 Wii points. Speaking of the Wii, a uh, couple of funny things came out this week. Game Industry Biz recently spoke to uh, Nintendo president Satoru Iwata, and he admitted that the sales of the Wii have stalled, citing that a lack of must-have software have put a damper in the sales of the little white console. Apparently, the Wii has sold 575 million consoles worldwide since March 2009, which is about a 40% drop when compared to last year's 10 million. Even though the Wii may not be selling as well as it did last year, Game Industry Biz reports that Iwata is optimistic and expects the Wii can sell 20 million consoles by the end of March 2010. Before I got into the second part of this, this shit show with Nintendo, how the fuck do they expect people to buy the Wii when there are no fucking games? Super Mario Wii is the only legitimate first-party title, oh, and Wii Fit Plus, but that's 20 bucks. It is the only legitimate first-party title that's coming out. The only one for the holiday season. There is no other title that I am aware of, people can correct me if I'm wrong, that is going to make people buy the Wii. What the fuck does Satoru Iwata expect? You're... What... What do you think, you fucking moron? People are going to buy the Wii to play Wii Sports and fucking Cooking Mama, you dumb bastard? P- 
people buy game systems to play games that sell game systems. You bought the PlayStation to play Metal Gear. You bought the 360 to play fucking Halo. You bought the Wii in the beginning to play Wii Sports, to play Mario Galaxy, to play Super Mario Kart, to play games that have been recycled all over again with Wii functionality. The only original games, No More Heroes, Mad World, Muramasa, none of them first-party games. And you know what's happening? Nintendo decides to not advance the console forward. That's what annoys me. You know, and, and, I'm, and people are always going to say that the Wii is family-oriented. And I agree, it is. But guess what? The family can't play any fucking games because there are none. There are no fucking games for the system, for the family, quote-unquote, to play. They're playing games that came out six months ago. Mom, I want a Wii for Christmas. What games do you want? Um, um, Mario? Um, Smash Brothers? Yeah, exactly. That's, they're wondering why the sales have stalled. Hey, assholes. Think of Modern Warfare. 360, PlayStation 3, consoles that are slowly moving up in sales, games like Tekken 6. Well, DJ Hero came out on all three platforms, but Tekken 6, you can't, not happening, ever. It's, it's one of those things that the Wii, I love the system, I really do. I enjoy it, it's very fun to play, but I'm playing a lot of old shit. The newest games that I played were Mad World, Wii Fit Plus, which I bought, and it was $20, so that's not setting the world on fire at all, and then everything else. I don't, you know, this whole give Japan all the exclusive shit is really annoying, and it's very fucking, you know, I talked about this last week when Kevin Baird called in from VGN. they're wanting to keep their shit just for their people while it's cool and all. How the fuck do you expect to sell anything? Like, like the, you know, the black Wii, for instance, really cool. Perfect compliment to a black 360 and a black PS3. Perfect compliment. Oh, this is only for Japan. What? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh yeah, dude, this is only for us. Why? Don't you think that it, that would have moved units? Do you know how, how easy it is to move units because there's people out there that are fucking nuts and want all their home theater components to match? Oh, yeah, I'll go buy the, the black Wii. Yeah, sure. But no, we're going to keep it because it's our thing. It's what we like. I, I, it, it boggles my mind how he sits there and he's just shocked that, oh, my God. The Wii's not selling. I don't understand that. You're a fucking moron, Satoru Iwata, president of Nintendo. You are a fucking boob. Where, where are the Zelda games? Where are the, where are the first party games? You know, where's, uh, the, when, the, when the only first party game is a rehashed Mario, it's a fucking problem. 
You know, people aren't going to part with their money as easily as they used to. The economy is still in the fucking shitter. Nobody wants to part with their money to play recycled fucking games. Nintendo needs to get their head out of their fucking ass and put the screws to these first-party developers and start putting out good first-party titles, good shit like Zelda, you know, a new, a new Zelda game, not some recycled shit, not Four Swords, not fucking Zelda in a blender, not fucking not, a new game, Metroid, new game, not recycled shit. New games, new Mario. How is Super Mario Galaxy 2 nowhere near being released? Nowhere. Nowhere. Why don't you just pack Mario Galaxy with the fucking Wii at this point? You know, at that point. Because at least then you'll get something out there that's not Wii Sports. I'm done. I'm just, I'm disgusted with the fact that all it is is recycled first-party games, and then some of the worst fucking chicken shoot, carnival games, virtual pets, Iron Chef, just the worst shit on the Wii. It's like, you know how, how in the cartoons they have the island of the misfit toys where the toys just go to die? Or in the old Tarzan movies, they'd have the elephant graveyard. Nintendo is the, is the elephant graveyard of games. Hey, I want to do this game where a fish spits water at a target. Oh, I can put that on the Wii. They'll do it. You know, that's the kind of shit you see on the Wii. You know, shit like that. Uh, train my goldfish 101. Paint this wall. That, uh, that's the next game. You use the Wiimote like a paintbrush, and you paint walls in your virtual house. That's the bullshit Nintendo does. That's it. Nintendo is the elephant graveyard of gaming, where all the shitty fucking games appear. Shit like that, like fucking Chicken Shoot. Chicken Shoot, what's another really shitbag game? Um, Pets, cats, uh... World Cheerleading Championships? World Cheerleading Championships? Really? Are you... How the fuck is that possible? That you're... That there's a World Cheerleading Championships game on the Wii? I don't know. But we got somebody on the line. Let's see what they got to say. You're on the air. Who's this? What's up? It's Waffle. How's it going? What's going on? Well, I'm not defending Nintendo. You got... You're perfectly correct with everything you've been saying, but how... You fucking you can't, Waffles. Before you even go into it, you can't fucking defend these fucking guys. Because... That's why I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. There's no games, dude. Nothing for the holidays. Nothing but a recycled Mario game. Nothing. That's why, like, it's funny. Because I, where I work, I work at Barnes & Noble. I look at Nintendo Magazine. Everything that Nintendo basing the product on now is just on the downloads you can get on WiiWare. Those are, that's the only place you can get like games now. For games that to be released, everything's not going to be out till like late 2010, early 2011. So that shit sucks for right now. Do you own the you own the Wii, don't you? Yeah, I do, but I don't okay. even play it anymore. What was the What was the last game you bought? Twilight Princess. How long ago was that? Damn, give it like a couple of months. Uh, can 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 you agree that it's been eight months? Um, 
yeah, actually, yeah. I could say something like about eight months. Okay. Don't you think it is a fucking travesty that in eight months you've gotten GTA episodes downloadable, you've gotten Modern Warfare, you've gotten Demon Souls, uh, that new Dragon Heart shit for the PlayStation 3, you've gotten Marvel vs. Capcom, Street Fighter 4, games that aren't first party, but yet first party games, you got, you know, Ratchet and Clank, you got Halo ODST. You've gotten a plethora, a fucking cornucopia of fucking games in, the, in, in eight months' time that are, are, you know, they're making people part with their money, yet the Nintendo just sits there. Oh, we're going to put out Wii Fit Plus and Wii Sports Resort. Are you kidding me? Those are your first-party games? Games with fucking Lego graphics? Are, you, are, are the games that you expect to move your, your, your flagship console forward? How the fuck does the DS have better games than your fucking console? How's that possible? No, you're right, you're right. Like, I just kind of, everything's not coming out too late. All they've been concentrating on is just working on the games you can download online because they have a major selection there for that, from what I've been reading. I don't know what the hell we, like, the people from We Are Thinking, stupid that they're even making just, like, sequels to the games they already have rather than just original ones. You have to wait for a new Zelda for next year, which is stupid. They could have been working on it ever since, like, the week came out because Zelda, of course, is a big hit, like Mario, Donkey Kong, Kirby, and all of them. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's like, it's like where, where's the fucking, where's a Donkey Kong game, a first-party game? Where's the, I'll even take a Kirby game. I'll even take a giant marshmallow sucking apples to, to, to quell my, my need for new games. Like anything, I'll take fucking Mario fucking something, Mario anything, but at least something first party that shows that Nintendo's, you know, pushing, pushing their console forward. You know, how do you expect to, to establish console dominance in, 2009, in 2009's holiday season when the only game you have is a four-player Mario game that's a remake of an old Mario game? How do you expect to win? They won't. They won't. They were at top spending, but now when with no games being coming out whatsoever, it's only going to be up between PlayStation and 360 now. Nintendo's just going to keep going down as they keep up like their antics right now. Uh, it's a, it's really unfortunate, man. It is really unfortunate. Uh, well, we'll see what happens, man. Thanks sure. for the call, Waffles. No problem. <laughs> Later, All right, man. brother. Later. And you know, Satoru Iwata gets, gets, once again, here's a good one. Satoru Iwata has gone on record with the Financial Times as being interested in the strategy Amazon has adopted for free internet access on its Kindle ebook reader. I'm interested because it's a new business model in which the user doesn't bear the communications cost. There's no fee for access, accessing Amazon's WhisperNet 3G network on the Kindle, as the cost is built into the price of the device up front. Taking a similar route with the DS would mean the handheld would have free always-on connections, something PSP doesn't and mobile platforms such as the iPhone do, but at the, but at the cost of a cellular data plan. Only people who can pay thousands of yen a month can be iPhone customers. That doesn't fit Nintendo customers because we make amusement products. Of course, this all leads to this. 
Such a move could definitely expose more DSI or DSI XL buyers, especially those without access to home Wi-Fi networks, to Nintendo's DSI store. But Iwata admits that there would be mixed reactions among customers, saying in reality, if we did this, it would increase the cost of the hardware, and customers would complain about Nintendo putting prices up. But it's one option for the future. Customers are going to complain about the cost of hardware. How are they going to complain, you fucking moron, if there are no games? None. The DS and the DSi, maybe. But let's be legitimate. Your flagship console, the one that has moved you forward, the evolution of the GameCube, the Wii, no love whatsoever. None. But the DS gets 19 different versions. You get this bigger DS, which I smell it having some type of ebook reader functionality in the near future because the size that the unit is and the way it looks like a booklet if you hold it lengthwise, there's way too many little convenient things going on, especially with him acknowledging 3G network access on the hardware. Let me tell you, people bought the PSP Go for $249. If you put the DSi XL for 200 bucks, it had always-on 3G access, full-on access to the DSi store, ebook reader uh, with a color screen, functionality. Let me tell you, not only would you stick it to the Kindle, you would fight the PSP Go and the iPhone on a level playing field. So the fact that you're... Uh, flip-flopping on putting 3G in a bigger DS is a stupid fucking move. But you know what? You guys obviously don't know what the fuck you guys are doing. You know, I don't know how you guys have been so successful at Nintendo with all the shit that you're putting out there. It, it's ridiculous. It's, it, I'm, just, I'm just disgusted that this holiday season I can't buy anything for the Wii. I can't. There's, there's no way. I mean, I can buy... Muramasa the Demon Blade because in Target they're buy two get one free. But guess what? Old titles, titles that have been out for a while. Nothing new. Yeah, I'm going to buy the Mario game, but what else? What else is there? Nothing. And, and it, 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 it upsets me because you've got a company that's so strong in, in the marketplace, that's so well known you know, for their quality, their, their great products, what they bring to the table in terms of contributions to gaming they've innovated in terms of the ds and you know just the game boy advance the sp they made portable gaming fun accessible to everybody and affordable in some respects same thing with console gaming they did a console that was fun but you know what i can't have fun with the console without any fucking games you know that's that's kind of important I need games to play on the super fun console, stupid. So we'll see what happens when 2010 comes around and they start throwing out first-party uh, first titles, you know, after the holiday season when Sony and Xbox have taken all the money. We'll see if the stragglers that come around in 2010 can help Nintendo move some units. Until then, we will be watching with bated breath. Uh, Pokemon fans, um, if you go to... Toys R Us, November 7th through the 15th, you can pick up, what the hell is his name, Arceus, Arceus, 
A-R-C-E-U-S. You can pick up at Toys R Us November 7th through the 15th. The Pokemon will be available at all Toys R Us stores in the United States and Puerto Rico, and all you got to do is show up with your DS. Also, if you missed uh, using the member card to catch Darkrai, you'll be able to grab Oak's letter in Pokemon Platinum's version via Nintendo's Wi-Fi connection and use it to catch Shavman. The letter will be available up until November 8th. So if you're missing any of those Pokemon, I figured I would inform you guys that you can go out and get them for free at Toys R Us. And those of you that are missing anybody, hey, I'm glad I can help. So head out to Toys R Us between the 7th and the 15th and grab yourself the missing Pokemons that you are missing. Uh, here's a, here's, you know, for everything that I read about Nintendo, funny things like this pop up. Webish Securities uh, analyst Michael Pachter informed investors that Activision, the publisher for Call of Duty, will be making a lot of money from sales of the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Way to go, genius. Did you figure that out all by yourself? Pactor says, we expect global sales to exceed $500 million in the first week following launch and think that the company can easily sell 10 million units in quarter four. Really? Really? You're an analyst and you figured all that out by yourself. Did the figures from the first Call of Duty help you out with that? Because, you know, the first Modern Warfare was one of the most fucking successful first-person shooters that have come along in such a long time. Did you figure that shit out all by yourself? I swear, these non-gamer fucks come in and they toss some numbers around and they think they know everything there is to know about the gaming industry. Yes, it's going to sell a lot. We get it. Thanks. Of course, Halo 3 was one of the biggest launches. It grossed $300 million, which, fuck, that's better than most movies. Video game retailer GameStop recently predicted that the sales of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 would possibly be one of the highest-selling titles ever. GameStop VP of Marketing Tony Bartell says, we believe Modern Warfare 2 has a chance to be the biggest title of all time, and obviously we're basing that on the reservation activity that we are seeing in our stores. Oh, you mean the reservation act activity that involves you fingering us and forcing us to fucking reserve the shit? Because, you know, you might not be able to get it if you don't reserve it. Is that it? That reserve tactic? Is that what you're using to gauge that the game is going to be the highest selling title ever? That's what, it, that's, what, that's what you're using? Your reservation list? Look, common sense. The game sold a shitload the first time. Fact. Guess what? The second one is going to probably sell more because of word of mouth, marketing, the internet, YouTube, MySpace, you know, fucking magazines, if people still even read them. They're going to sell the game for you. If you're basing it on reserve activity, you're an idiot because guess what? What about people that buy the game at Target? What about people that buy the game at Walmart, Best Buy, uh, FYE, Fry's, Costco, Coconuts? Uh, Sears, the list goes on. What about those numbers? Why is it that GameStop feels that they're the center of the fucking gaming universe? Yes, you guys will sell a lot of copies. That's, that's with a given. But you're not the only game in town, dude. You really ought to look at your facts before opening your yaps, period. This is what I think, if I would have been an analyst, I would have said. Uh, the Call of Duty 
uh, the Call of Duty Modern Warfare franchise has proven successful with the first release of Modern Warfare. We feel that given the success of the previous installment, this installment can and will succeed the prospective sales numbers that the first one did. We will have full information once the game has been released to retailers. That's it. That fucking simple. All this speculation and throwing out all this fucking jargon, why don't you just say, we're going to sell a shitload, get ready, because when we pull the numbers out next week, it's going to blow your fucking mind. It's really that simple. It, all this fucking extra jargon and shit that you're throwing out there, oh, well, you know, the success of the fucking game, and <laughs> stuffy, 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 are going to fucking tell us shit we already know. Yes, Halo 3 was successful. We got it. Modern Warfare 2 will be successful. Thanks. In news that actually put a smile on my face, Street Fighter 4, the new edition, which comes out in March, will be bringing back the challenge rope, the, the two bonus rounds that have made Street Fighter oh so popular. You're going to get the, uh, the Breaking Barrels bonus stage, and you're also going to get the uh, Destruction of the Car stage. Uh, those are always really fun, and there have been already pictures online showing... Uh, the new character, Jury, uh, partaking in the destruction of the car. So I think that's actually a really cool thing to see. Um, they're also going to be adding a couple of new things that Capcom mentioned. They're going to have a replay channel that will let you voice chat with other users while watching videos uh, from previous Street Fighter matches, and it will also give you the chance to save replays locally to hard disk. You're also going to have a new feature called Endless Battle, a new Winners Out style tournament that will be a tournament mode for up to eight players. Also, you're going to have Team Battle, which is going to be a group-based tournament that allows teams of two to four people to compete against each other. So these are all a couple of the new nuggets of information that are going to be uh, trickling out over the coming months for Street Fighter 4. I think that Super Street Fighter 4 is going to be very successful, and with a price point of $40, it's going to be very successful. I think that a lot of people are definitely a little, a little bit resentful towards Capcom for going this route and releasing something so quick of an update. I honestly thought that they were going to release an update and just have you download a pack. And I can understand that the, the new characters and things consume so much data that you're going to have to put it on the disc. But, you know, 40 bucks is, is manageable. It's a manageable price for a game that has enhanced functionality and new characters. I'm more than sure a lot of you are going to beg to differ in terms of the pricing, but I feel $40 is a respectable price to pay for a Street Fighter game, especially one that has such great content. So we'll see what happens. Uh, those of you that are still playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance will be able to pick up the downloadable content this week, which is going to have five new characters and four new challenge missions for the 360 and the PS3. Your new characters are Carnage, Psylocke, Cable, Black Panther, and Magneto. All of those, uh, Carnage, Cable, and, Psycho and Psylocke will be for the first characters to ever appear for the first time in Ultimate Alliance. You're also going to get four new challenge missions, which bring new boss encounters, dangerous gauntlets, and a whole bunch of other stuff. You're going to be able to pick those up. The downloadable pack will cost 800 Microsoft points and $9.99 on the PlayStation Network. If you did not get the pre-order Juggernaut character, you'll be able to pick that up for 160 Microsoft points or two bucks on the PlayStation Store. Uh, with 
this being the month of November, you know that one of the things that's always going to be talked about is Black Friday. You know, not Thanksgiving or, you know, giving thanks or spending time with your family. Oh, no. Black Friday and Christmas. That's what we're going to talk about. So, in the interest of fairness in giving Black Friday its mandatory plug on My Take Radio, uh, if you go to Old Navy this week, you, I mean, if you go to Old Navy on Black Friday, they will be giving away free copies of Lego Rock Band with every $20 purchase. So when you go to pick it up, you will get Lego Rock Band. All you got to do is go and spend 20 bucks. I think it's a really odd promotion, but if you go to Old Navy and you get a fucking free game for spending 20 bucks, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I honestly don't see the allure, much less understand the logic in Lego Rock Band. I'm still trying to really figure that shit out because I don't understand how exactly are you supposed to play Rock Band, the Lego version. But, I mean, if it's free, I'd be, I'd be open to checking it out for sure. Definitely something I want to see. And uh, this weekend, if you have a Walmart near you and you need an Xbox, you can pick up an Xbox 360 arcade console for $199, and you're going to get a $100 gift card. So if you want to make a little extra money uh, you can or don't have an Xbox, head over to Walmart this Saturday, and you can bag the arcade console for $199 and get yourself a nice $100 gift card, which will come in handy for some Christmas shopping. Uh, wouldn't be a gaming segment without mentioning Halo. The Blu-ray edition of Halo Legends Anime Project is scheduled to be released February 9th. The impossible union of Halo and Blu-ray will not arrive on the same day as the DVD release, but it will also contain an exclusive overview of the series plus the events of Halo 3. I honestly feel really weird seeing Halo on Blu-ray playing on a PS3. That's going to be uh, very interesting, to say the least. And of course, Last bit of news before we head out. I actually got a little bit of footage and photos, which I'm going to try and post on MyTakeRadio.com, about a King of Fighters movie. I had no idea that this was being made. Uh, the movie is being directed by Gordon Chan, who made the classic Jet Li movie, Fist of Legend. Uh, you're going to have... And the casting is just utter fucking shit. They got Sean Farris, who was in... Pearl Harbor, who was also in Never Back Down, he's going to be playing Kyo Kusanagi. Listen to this. Sean Farris, white guy, playing Kyo Kusanagi, Asian. Say it with me, folks. Sean Farris, white guy, Kyo Kusanagi, Asian. Right there, there is a fucking problem. Next, Wee Yoon Lee, who was in the Witchblade TV series, is going to be playing Iori Yagami. Ray Park, who played Darth Maul as well as Snake Eyes in G.I. Joe, is going to be playing Rugal. Maggie Q, who is famous for being in Live Free or Die Hard and had a really cool death scene, is going to be playing Mai Shiranui. Francois Yip from Rumble in the Bronx is going to play Chizuru. And based on the photos I've seen, it is about as much of a train wreck as you can imagine. I'm going to see if I can uh, remove the, not the watermark, but remove the access and try and post the photos on mytakeradio.com because me expressing my disgust verbally is not going to give it justice. You guys need to see this. 
So uh, check out MyTakeRadio.com at some point this weekend, and you will see the wonderful King of Fighters photos that I will post. And boy, are they shitty. And uh, last thing on the way out, uh, Game of Sutra reported that even though DJ Hero is a very popular game, it's only seeing modest success in the United States. Basically, what they're trying to say is that given the present state of the economy, people are showing price sensitivity towards games with price points greater than $100. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to show that people don't want to pay over 60 bucks for games. And when they do, they're very hesitant. People do it for Rock Band because once you buy Rock Band once at some point, you can play every Rock Band game. Same thing with Guitar Hero. See, DJ Hero, once you cross that $100 threshold on, on a, I'm not going to say it's a niche demographic, but definitely not a game people play a lot. You know, you got to take into account that people don't, people aren't really out there dropping $100 on a game. It's one of those things that, you know, I, I personally, like I said, I was really hesitant on dropping $200. I did it because I wanted the game, but there was definitely some apprehension out there in dropping $200. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like, you know, it doesn't take, and, and this is the things that, that bother me, that these analysts are looking at these trends and looking at these, at these sales numbers. And, you know, in the real world, my job is a product analyst. And I review analytical data between my company and competitors. Pretty much the same thing they probably do. And I look at trends and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and where the money's being spent. And I'm going to tell you straight up, you don't need fucking rocket science to see that there's less units of this shit being sold. Let me explain something to you. When I went and bought DJ Hero, I went into Best Buy at exactly 10 a.m. I walked into the front door, all the DJ Hero systems Renegade and Regular Edition were perfectly placed at the front door ready to be purchased. I walked in on Wednesday, the next day, and they were all still there. And maybe seven or eight units of the Renegade Edition sold for the PS3, the 360, and the Wii. Back in the day when Rock Band or Guitar Hero came out, them shits would be sold out for weeks. Now I walk in there, and I'm like, oh, shit. They still I walked into Best Buy Sunday. Actually, I walked into Best Buy Tuesday to pick up Forrest Gump on Blu-ray, and they still had Renegade Editions. And it wasn't new ones because the display was set up practically the same. There was missing one or two systems, but it wasn't, you know, down to three or four. There was at least 10 or 12 of these video games available for each console. It doesn't take fucking a mathematical whiz to tell you that the shit's not selling. People just don't want to part with their money. You know, it's one of those things, it's really hard to get people in this day and age to part with a hundred bucks to play imaginary drums it, or an imaginary guitar or be an imaginary DJ. It's just not possible to get people to do that. I honestly think that this peripheral strategy that's being incorporated for these new games is they got to scale it back a little bit, man. You can't release all these new games with all these really cool controllers and be charging nearly 200 bucks for the shit. 
that's a light bill for some families. I think that they really need to reconsider their strategy, especially with now they got a Tony Hawk game coming out with a you know with a virtual with a like a skateboard peripheral, so you can play that shit. How much is that? Hundred and sixty nine dollars. It's like yo, you guys really are pushing the envelope. Whatever happened to just playing Tony Hawk with a controller? Oh no, you have to immerse yourself in the experience. Are you fucking serious? It's absurd. It is really absurd. But eh, what can you do? Let's close out the the video game news for this week and let's get into some movie news. Uh, if you want to call and discuss any of the topics that I have discussed in any of the previous segments, by all means, feel free to hit me up, 347-324-3541. Let's hear what you got to say about MMA. Let's hear what you got to say about uh, video game news or wrestling. Feel free to call in, 347-324-3541 are the magic numbers. Let's get into the movie news. Definitely, uh... Seems Variety has become the source for a lot of great news. I got to start reading Variety a lot more often. Uh, Variety reported recently this week that Columbia Pictures hired the the what the fuck is this? The writer from uh, Tropic Thunder to write a script for Men in Black Three. Oh yeah, Men in Black Three. Supposedly the film will be starting. Uh, the work on the third film will start in 2010. Uh, director Barry Sonnenfeld, Will Smith, and Tommy Lee Jones do not have deals to return to the franchise that has made nearly $1.1 billion worldwide. I, you know, I've realized a trend the last few episodes of My Take Radio, and that is that movie news just aren't complete without sequel news. It really should just be called the movie and sequel news, because nine times out of ten, I'm talking about sequels. It's ridiculous. It's, it's like, it just shows, and, and once again, it's me standing on the soapbox, the lack of originality that Hollywood has when they continue to churn out sequel after sequel after sequel, because the first, four, the first five stories I want to discuss involve fucking sequels. Here's another one that Variety put out. Charlize Theron will star in Mad Max 4, Fury Road. Uh, Mad Max is going to be played by a guy named Max... Rock Tansky. He will be playing the role that Mel Gibson has made famous. Mel Gibson has not confirmed that he will be back in any shape, way, or form for Mad Max 4. You know, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, guilty pleasure. Not the greatest movie ever, but it was okay. Mad Max 2, good movie. Original Mad Max, fucking awesome. How many years has it been? Mel Gibson, Mad Max should be in a fucking home by now. He should be fucking eating applesauce. To, to put out another one, what are they going to do? Reboot the franchise? I swear. It's like, leave Mad Max alone. Just, just let the franchise rest quietly and let us enjoy the reruns of the first three movies on cable. Don't ruin it with another franchise or another reboot. Let it be. Please, Hollywood. Please, I'm begging you. Don't, don't ruin some of these really great franchises with these fucking off-kilter and half-assed remakes. It's fucking bullshit. But what can you do? Of course, with the recent popularity of Paranormal Activity, which I am going to be reviewing, uh, Blair Witch Project 3. Yep. Another Blair Witch. The Toronto Star recently spoke with Eduardo Sanchez, one of the minds behind the original Blair Witch film, and he stated that him... 
himself and co-writer director Daniel Myrick recently wrote a treatment for the third film, which includes small roles for the original cast members. He also stated that the film would not focus on the character speaking directly to the camera, but more on what he calls mixed first person, which he hopes to experiment on with a movie called Possessed, which is another low-budget horror film that they are currently working on. He says we're all we're at step, and we're about to pitch it to Lionsgate, who owns the movie rights now, and it's pretty much up to them. They can completely squash it or greenlight it. I got to say that the, the Blair Witch Project movie, very well done, very well executed. At the time, it was very advanced. It was very ahead of its time, but it, it, the nostalgia died down. The popularity of paranormal activity, which I see people discussing in the forum, is something that, and this is what happens all the time. When a movie like Saw becomes popular, everyone jumps on the bandwagon to create bloody and graphic movies that follow suit. When you do movies that are low budget, tell intriguing storylines, and introduce you to characters you actually care about a little bit, then those movies become the main thing. It's the same thing with, with things from our childhood, you know, for 80s babies that are listening. You know, things like Transformers, G.I. Joe, uh, the He-Man movie that they're re-releasing, Voltron, which they're putting out, you know, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Josie and the Pussycats. You know, these are things you grow up watching that Hollywood just digs into the well and decides to throw on the screen. And while they are moderately successful in some respects, overly successful some of the time, and just fucking bag of shit the rest of the time, you know, they, they figure that movies like this and franchises like this can just continue to live on and be rebooted every five or six years, and people will just fall right in line and watch them. And I honestly think that some movies, you know, the Friday the 13th, while it was decent, didn't really need to be out. A remake of Nightmare on Elm Street didn't really need to be out, but, you know, th these are the things that they crank out, and, you know, as long as people watch them and they have a market for them, people are going to buy them. I mean, one of the things that Rob Zombie, when he remade Halloween, I was not too fond of the concept at the time, but he added his own spin on it. He added a more uh, meaty and in-depth uh, look at the personality of Michael Myers, which was really cool because it just showed the, the level you know, of madness to an individual. It showed how a guy can just have traumatic of his life, turn him into a complete maniacal killing machine. And these are the things that, you know, they move, they move the storyline forward. And I, have, I was pleasantly impressed with both Halloween movies remakes by Rob Zombie because he added a different, a different layer to the story that hadn't been looked at before. And, you know, like I said, on sequels on purpose, it's just that the majority of them and the remakes are just, are just shit. And you ask yourselves, after you pay for this, you know, you pay your hard and money to see them, like, yo, why did this happen? It's very, very unfortunate. And in sticking with the theme of sequels, they're going to, uh, screenwriter Kevin Williamson recently spoke to MTV about the upcoming Scream 4. Scream 4 is going to take place 10 years later. It's going to take place in Sidney Prescott's hometown of Woodsboro. They're going to have their three main characters, and they'll be introducing several more. It says the little ensemble of new characters will take us through the next three movies. That's right. They're going to do three movies. 
three more Scream movies for us to watch. More of the ghost face. It, it's absurd. I mean, three movies. Can't you just make one and see how it goes? Oh, no, I want to make another trilogy. It gets better. MTV seemed to be getting all the nuggets, too, just like Variety. Uh, MTV spoke to David Goyer about a second Ghost Rider movie. They asked him, is it a reboot? Because, of course, they got to ask that. And he says, it's not exactly a reboot. I hate to say it's more realistic because we got – how's he going to say it's more realistic when you've got a guy whose head is on fucking fire? And, of course, the theme for all Hollywood movies is it's going to be more dark. I'm de it's definitely changing tone. It, it's going to be the equivalent of what Casino Royale was to the Bond movies. Hopefully this will be the Ghost Rider. He said the story's going to pick up eight years after the first film. You're not going to need to see the first film to understand the story. It doesn't contradict anything that happened in the first film. But we're pretending that our audience hasn't seen the first film. It's as if you took the same character where things ended in the first and picked up eight years later. He's just a mucker. He's in a much darker existential place. Translation. The first movie sucked. Nicolas Cage with hair plugs was god-awful. I would have rather put a skull helmet on my cat, lit it on fire, and had him ride a tricycle down the fucking highway, and that would have been more entertaining than the first Ghost Rider movie. It... The first Ghost Rider movie, the minute that he's riding alongside the fucking flaming cowboy, I was done. I was totally done. When the bad guy was the guy from American Beauty, I was even more done. And when, when Peter Fonda was Mephisto, forget it. I was like, all right, I'm done. I just shut the shit off. It's one of those things where certain characters will always translate well into film. Ghost Rider needs a very unique approach in order to be successful. In order for Ghost Rider to be successful, you have to take the, the, the meat and potatoes of the character, which is supernatural. The supernatural always gets conveyed well. But one thing you have to remember is it can't be PG-13. There's certain characters that need to be in an R-rated setting. You're not going to make as much money, but people are going to understand what character is in that setting. Look at The Punisher. If they told me tomorrow we're going to release a Punisher movie and it's going to be rated PG, I'd tell them to fucking drink Drano and take a nap. Because in all honesty, the Punisher movies need to be rated R. Period. There's way too much ultraviolence to, to constitute a lower rating. Luckily, they've never done that. Another example of things like that is Wolverine. Wolverine, if any of you have read Wolverine comic books, and I'm more than sure a majority of you have in some shape or form, you'll realize that Wolverine is a very violent character. Very violent. He's a womanizer for all intents and purposes. He kills with reckless abandon, goes into berserker rages. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's insane for all intents and purposes. And then, you know, you, you, you put him in this movie where he attacks and injures and kills people throughout the course of the movie. Not a single ounce of blood is spilled, but we're supposed to consider that cool, even though there needed to be, you know, a little bit more, a little, not, not realism, but just an understanding of the character you're dealing with. When you look at Wolverine, you'll realize Wolverine is a savage. 
He is an animal inside the body of a man who is barely holding it together because of all these psychological problems and programming and all this shit. And his character, you know, has a lot of demons. And it just seems that they, took, they take the safe route with his character in X-Men Origins. And, you know, I think that the second X-Men, you know, it gave people a glimpse of hope when he went in one of his berserker rages and started killing off uh, guards that had invaded the X-Mansion. I think that that was the, uh, you know, it gave people a, a, a ray of hope. And everybody expected Wolverine or X-Men Origins Wolverine to carry that same tone. But, you know, a lot of people left disheartened. Um, Josh, one of our, reg- you know, one of my regular callers and also a friend of mine was like, the special effects in this movie and the fucking story were god-awful. And I can understand the special effects weren't great, but when you do break it down, the story could have been a lot better. I'm really hoping that the second Wolverine movie, which is supposed to take place in Japan, can push the envelope a little bit in terms of just, you know, acknowledging his savage side as opposed to just, you know, using men's health Wolverine to sell the movie. Because people don't want to see men's health Wolverine. They want to see psycho savage wolverine from the comics men's health wolverine while nice for the ladies to look at isn't going to move the character forward uh from a filmmaking perspective that's just my opinion that's my take on it and i think that the the development the development of characters like ghost rider uh the punisher characters that are violent and exist in a violent marvel universe should be done the right way and not the wrong way I think that's just my personal opinion. But who knows? I think that Hollywood is kind of hitting bottom right now, and they're going to need to in order to show significant improvement. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to try and delve a little deeper in terms of whatever guests I bring on the show and try and, you know, get the, the insider's look at, you know, how the process goes in terms of making these movies and in terms of voice work and things of that nature. I am going to close out the movie segment, and we're going to get into some of the reviews that I have for this week. Uh, My first review is of Paranormal Activity. I uh, did the typical Halloween thing and took it upon myself to watch a couple of horror movies with my sister. And the first movie she told me she wanted to see was Paranormal Activity. So I threw it on, and um, I'm going to tell you the first uh, half-hour just, you know, it's the dialogue and the setup for the story, very Blair Witch-like with them talking into the camera and, you know, a lot of blah, blah, blah and the girl complaining about all these weird things happening. About, I'd say, 40 to the movie, a lot of freaky shit starts happening. I'm not going to get into it too much. I don't want to do any spoilers. But I have to say that it started off slow, picked up well, and it ended... eh, not uneventfully, because I've, I've, I found out afterwards that there's more than one ending for the movie. But I just feel that the pacing of the movie, while good, it didn't, at least to me, give me that that scary feeling that they were showing in the in the test footage, that they were showing in the commercials. You know that they that the hype machine was actually saying was was scary. You know the hype machine that is Hollywood made it seem like this movie would make me pee my pants. And I was, look, there's a lot of freaky shit that happens. I've seen a lot of freaky shit in my lifetime in terms of 
you know, black magic and shit. That's that stuff for another for another show. But I've seen some shit in my life, and I gotta tell you, some of the shit that happened in the movie really fucked up. But on the same token, it's you know the scares that were involved. I'm gonna tell you right now, when this movie's released on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, my advice to those of you that are watching it, make sure you have a very good sound system. Because there's a lot of subtle sounds and a lot of subtle noises that are crucial towards the presentation of the movie. Um, In particular, whenever the ghost walks in and out of the room, you know, you want to hear those footsteps. You want to hear when the ghost is breathing on, on them while they're sleeping. I think that overall sound was very crucial to making that movie appear to be scarier than it was because there was definitely um, a lot of great sound work that went into that movie, and there was also a lot of optical illusions, you know, between the... um, There was a scene with some dust and some footprints that was uh, very interesting and very creepy. I'm going to actually say that while I don't recommend you go and spend, you know, 10 50 to watch it, I do advise you that if you've got a really good movie theater with good sound, definitely go check it out as a matinee, just because it is a good movie in the sense of, you know, it, it took that Blair Witch formula and took it to the next level. I honestly recommend it as more of a matinee showing than a full-price viewing. And when it comes out on DVD or Blu-ray, I would definitely recommend if you have a good sound system to pick it up either as a rental or if you want to own it, Definitely, just from that standpoint, because like I said, you can only appreciate that movie with good sound. The sound is what made that movie um, more than it really was. So I got to say, you know, from a sound standpoint, the movie needs that in order to convey that, that message, you know, that it's, this is some creepy shit. With that being said, once again, I, I recommend it, but not as a uh, full purchase. Rental or matinee, if, if you can. Um, the other movie I got to see on Halloween was a, was a, um, a gem, so to speak, called Trick or Treat. Uh, Trick or Treat um, took a formula from one of my favorite movies, Creepshow, and it also borrowed a little bit from one of my other favorite movies, Tales from the It told um, a multitude of stories, I believe it was at least four, um, taking place in a small town during Halloween, the, you know, Halloween night. And they all tied together, and they all had different things that were going on in the town that were equally scary and equally creepy. What tied all these movies together, what tied all the stories together, was the main character, Sam, or Sam Haim. He uh, looked, if you see him in the movie, he looks like something out of Little Big Planet. It's a little sack, a little sack person, in a little clown costume, a little trick-or-treat bag, and a lollipop. And Sam did kill somebody, a few people in the movie, but he does appear in each story. Uh, there's a story that involves werewolves, I'll tell you that. A story that involves children being killed, which I have to tell you, without giving too much away, um, that movie... Um, there's a story involving uh, children that are not normal on a bus. Um, that, that's it. And, you know, what happens to them? And one of the things that, that bugged me out is, you know, 
I, I have two sisters. Both of them are handicapped. And the, 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 the children being ostracized or looked at differently definitely struck a chord. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. The movie didn't it, – it struck a chord in the sense that it was a little it, – it, it hit close to home in, in that respect. But I'm not so politically correct. And I'm going to be like, oh, my God, I can't watch this. I watched the movie, and I'm going to tell you, it was enjoyable. It was an enjoyable movie that, while not, you know, it, it wasn't marquee filmmaking in the least, but the unique storytelling and the unique presentation was really good. And there was a lot of fun of, of faces you may recognize. Uh, Dylan Baker, who plays Kurt Connors in Spider-Man, he was in the movie. Anna Paquin from True Blood, also Rogue from X-Men, she was in the movie. Uh, the kid who played Thurman Merman, the little fat kid in Bad Santa, was also in this movie. I think that Trick or Treat is one of those movies that becomes a cult favorite. It's one of those movies that you can't watch regularly, but you definitely, I definitely see myself watching it every Halloween. You know, it's right up there. I'd like to say it's up there with uh, Tales from the Dark Side and Creepshow in terms of movies you can watch over and over and just... You, there, there'll be some genuine scares, but there'll also be, uh, you know, some humor involved, which, you know, made the movie better than it was. It looks like we got another caller. Let's see who it is. You're on the air. Who's this? Hey, it's Laura. Hey, what's going on? Not too much. I actually have comments on both the movies you were just talking about. Uh, I guess I should start with Paranormal Activity first. Um <laughs> my reaction to this movie, well, first of all, I was called at around 2 a.m. by my one friend, Jonathan, and he says, can I come over? I can't sleep. Like, okay. Oh, boy. So he comes over and starts telling me about this movie, Paranormal Activity. I was like, are you kidding me? And he's not, he's not a young kid. He's 23, you know, and he, he's totally freaked out by it. Like, all right, I need to see this movie now. So I go to see it, you know, and I'm, I guess I go in with, you know, a little bit of uh, wanting and hoping that I'm going to get scared good just like he did. And the other part right. of me knew better. <laughs> the other part of me knew that, okay, something's not going to jive well. And I got a little bit of both. Um, okay. It, it, it was interesting. and I'm with you 100%. The movie, when it first starts out, it's just so drawn out. You're like, oh, it's so mundane. But yep, you know there's a lot of mundane to it. Yeah. But when you come down to it, the parts that were scary would not have been scary if it weren't for that mundane. You know what I'm saying? You think so? You think you think that the boredom was the setup for the for for the scare tactics? In a is way, that what, yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Pretty much. I mean, you think about it because the things that happen. I mean, I'm not going to get into those things either. But I mean. Those aren't things that happen in everyday life, and the way they were presented, it gave it a, it gave it a reality. Like if it, it didn't look like it was just tacked on special effects. It almost gave okay. it a reality to it. Um, there were well, a couple of moments where my hair on my arm stood straight on end. Like it was just that genuinely creepy. Okay, um, and and, I, and I'll agree. I'll agree that it was, but. Here's a, here's a few, here's a few holes in the details that that threw me off a little bit. Right. Um, num- number one, they always set the camera up before they go to bed. They're a young couple. Right. Y- 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 y'all don't fuck. 
Let, let's, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that it should be in the movie, but, you know, to, to add to the realism, uh, you know, maybe shut off the camera for a little bit, you know, and then the camera goes on and it shows them, you know, 2 a.m. sleeping. But it was right. always like, oh, let's go to bed. Are right. you kidding me? Like, like things like that, you know, there were, there, there were severe, there were plot holes. You know, the thing with um, them leaving the message for um, the demonologist. The demonologist wouldn't right. return your phone at all? Why is that? You know, there were just, like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I was expecting so much. And then I, I, I came to the realization the movie cost $11,000 to make. And it's made right. millions of dollars. So who the f*** I to expect Oscar-worthy fucking filmmaking when the movie's eleven grand? Yeah. You and once, once, I came to that, once I came to that realization, I said to myself, okay, I can enjoy this movie because you know what? It's a low-budget movie that has genuine aspects that can prey on people's fears. You know, the fear of the unknown is, you know, is the thing that that they that they use the most, and I don't know, but you have to take into into account. Did you feel that the sound played a a, a pivotal role? Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it's the, the the movie's presentation, everything with the sound, the visuals, um, with what they did do with the visuals, anyway. Um, it all allowed for that effect where they, what they do with movies nowadays is that they don't let you cough up the hairball. Does that make any sense? Like, they don't... Yes, I understand. You know, I mean, when when the end, you know, the sun doesn't come up and everyone's happy. No, they just let it linger. And they let things, oh, it's still out there, you know, that kind of thing. And that's what they did with this movie. And it's, you know, all of that was generated very well in its own way. Um through the visuals, through the sound. Like I said, it gave it, you know, it, it, it gave it a substance. Um, it did, but I just, I, just, I just felt that, you know, the, the lead-up and the ending, you know, it kind of it yanked the wind out from my sails because I saw one ending, and then when I found out about the alternate endings, I'm like, oh, okay. The alternate endings, while the test audiences were really freaked out by, by one of the endings, the other alternate ending proved to be a better one. I mean, it's one of those things where you're never going to get the formula 100% right. And I think Paranormal Activity was a breath of fresh air because while it is very Blair Witch-centric in terms of presentation, it, it was something original, something new that, right. that people needed to enjoy. Very, very true. I will agree with you 100% on that. <clears throat> what about Trick or Treat? What would you think? <laughs> trick or treat. Um, I was actually recommended that movie. I thought it was kind of like a joke type thing. Like, oh, you have to see this. It's so bad, it's good. You know that kind of thing. I'm like, okay, now I can do this. And I have Netflix, so why, why the hell not? Um, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, there were a lot of parts in it where it seemed campy, but at the same time, it also seemed well done. The only Sanction of the stories, like you said, there was four in there. I think the only one that I don't think I enjoyed was the werewolf one. All of the other okay. ones, all of the other ones were really, really awesome. 
And I loved the little extra that they gave you, too. I'm not sure if you saw this or not, but they had um, on the uh, DVD, they had a um, an original short. It was a little animated short that the uh, director did in 1996, which was the basis of that little of that little character. No, because the 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 I got. Uh, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> the version I got is uh, the version I got, but um, I do actually I do actually want to genuinely own the movie on Blu-ray just because. I I feel that the presentation was very well done for a low budget movie. I feel that the introduction of of the Sam Hain character was once again something fresh, something different, and it's a character that is something that that can pop up there. It's right. such it's his character is so well placed in the in the stories that you I can see that little dude not even as the character, but just the little dude, whether in toy form or whatever, just popping up in different horror movies now as a sight gag. Right, Because right. of the presentation and how cool it was. Like I, like, I can see them doing a Michael Myers movie and there being a trick-or-treat Sam Hain doll on a kid's, on a kid's nightstand. You know, <laughs> things of that nature. It's like um, the guy that did the Saw movies, he did uh, the movie with Kevin Bacon where his kid got killed. And there's scenes in that movie, there's actually a part where he goes after the one guy and he's following him in an abandoned alley, and the puppet from Saw is painted on the walls. Oh, jeez. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's, there's little things like that, and I see that character, the Sam Hain character, just appearing in varying uh, degrees throughout horror movies now, because he has such a, such a cool yet creepy vibe around him. Right. That 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 you know, people are like you're like, Oh, how cute and then he stabs you in the head with a lollipop, you know, like holy shit. There's a very, very odd charm about that Sam character. <laughs> I will agree with you. Exactly. On that. Very I, I will that's a perfect explanation. There is an odd charm about it. Just a whimsical charm that that I can see, like I said, just, just being used everywhere. You know, like the gizmo vibe. Yeah. But uh, when you do get a chance to own it on a Blu-ray or whatever, yeah, definitely check out the animated short. It's very reminiscent of, like, Spike and Mike or Liquid Television. It's good stuff. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll check, I'll check it out and, and post a, a full review then on the site. All right, man. All right, thanks for the call. No problem. Talk to you later. All right, later. And my last uh, mini-review is for DJ Hero. And, of course, other than the Renegade Edition, um, you know, my gripes about the Renegade Edition, I'm genuinely going to say, I'll start off, when you buy the game, of course, you get the turntable controller. Um, another company called Newmark, which makes DJ equipment, is coming out with their own turntable controller for a game called Scratch. Um, I will be posting a video of that on MyTakeRadio.com as well. And it seems that it's going to become the thing, like Guitar Hero and Rock Band, where two companies are going to release similar games with similar controllers, and then it's just a matter of which controller is better. Um, offhand, DJ Hero, very, very uh, user-friendly. Initially, I played the game in Best Buy, and I was hooked. You know, the mixes of the music were very well done. A lot of uh, old, a mix of old and new music. 
uh, from varying genres. You got a little bit of uh, old school hip hop, new hip hop, uh, pop music, punk music, uh, alternative tracks. You got a healthy mix of stuff in there. You know, uh, you artists like Rihanna, Jay Z, Eminem, uh, No Doubt, Gwen Stefani on her own, Black Eyed Peas, uh, Grandmaster Flash, uh, Rick James. You, you have such a, a diverse group of artists and a diverse group of music. You have over at least 100 tracks of mixed music. One of my gripes I feel, though, was that they, they mixed a lot of the same songs with other songs. Like Rihanna's Disturbia was used at least four times in different, in different aspects of, of the game. But overall, definitely a solid title. Um, I have to give kudos to Activision for making a very friendly uh, pick-up-and-play game. If you have Guitar Hero, you can do uh, a DJ and guitar collabos on a lot of the uh, on some of the tracks, which is really cool because then you know you can take advantage and use your guitar peripheral. Um, I like the fact also that as you play through the game, you unlock different DJs: uh, Daft Punk, DJ AM, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff from Fresh, you know, from Fresh Prince, uh, you know, and the Fresh Prince things of that nature. You, you know, you get a lot of cool DJs you can DJ with. Uh, the turntable, uh, it's very sturdy. It works, the, the record works very smoothly. The record has three buttons on it, similar to the buttons from Guitar Hero. You have a crossfader that, you know, after repeated use, you'd think that it would uh, fall apart. It's not weak at all. It's a very sturdy controller. And overall, definitely would recommend if you can get a good deal on the game or if you've got a couple games laying around that you can trade in, I would advise you to pick it up. It's um, definitely a game that's worth owning. It's a great party game. Uh, the music is fantastic. I actually, uh, you know, worked a little, a little bit of internet magic and found the soundtrack for the game that has like 80 of the songs. And I've actually been listening to those because some of the mixes are really well done. Um, the Renegade Edition, like I said, you get the case to carry the turntable with you. It also has four legs you attach to make it a table. You get the Eminem uh, and Jay-Z CD. The uh, Renegade Edition turntable has, you know, little gold accents to separate it from the standard edition. I think that this is a game that, yeah, it's a little expensive, but, you know, so was Rock Band and so was Guitar Hero. So overall, I definitely would want to recommend this game as a purchase, but not outright if you really can find a way to get it cheaper, then by all means do so. I'm more than sure there's going to be some type of a Black Friday deal that's going to come into full effect. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can, you can bring it over to a friend's house, and I'm more than sure that everybody will want to play. You know, I definitely got to say it's a must-buy. And I'll tell you right now, um, my wife, not a very big uh, Guitar Hero fan. She always has issues playing the game. She actually was playing DJ Hero in a store, you know, with me, which was, which was great because, you know, I'd never seen her, you know, be so interested in a, in a game of that nature. I mean, you know, we play a lot of games together. But it, that was really cool, and it gave us another game that we can play, you know, you know, b that we can both play, which is always good. But I think that definitely it's an awesome party game, and I would recommend it. Not for 200 bucks, but uh, 
definitely worth picking up. So that's my review for DJ Hero, and I think that that's going to wrap it up for this week. Um, like I said, next week's guest is Brooks Macbeth, stand-up comedian. Also, he opens for uh, Joe McHale, who is host of The Soup. He is also doing the Slumdog Virgin, which is similar to scary movie and spoof films of that nature. He's going to be in that, and he also does voice work for Brutal Legend. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about him, you can uh, look up Brooks Macbeth on YouTube. He also has a MySpace page, which has a really funny segment between him and Bill O'Reilly. So definitely look him up on MySpace. Uh, he's also on Facebook, and he will be guest next week. Uh, definitely want to give a couple of shout-outs. Definitely want to thank uh, Don Anderson and the VGN crew, as always, um, for giving me an opportunity to contribute to their shows. Uh, their shows are VGN Radio. Uh, you can look up VGN Radio on vgnradio.com. Cleveland Sports Radio, I do their MMA news, which I will probably be doing if not this Sunday, then the following to discuss UFC 105, as well as Fedor versus Brett Rogers, which is this this Saturday on CBS. Uh, props to 411mania.com for their great news with wrestling, MMA, and movies, as well as games. OC providing uh, the intro music, which was Castlemania, uh, probably next week. There will be a brand new intro for My Take Radio that will be debuting uh, I may do it next week, or I may save it for episode 20. We'll see what happens. Uh, of course, Eris Clothing by uh, my good buddy Heartless. Check it out if you get a chance, erisclothing.com, film drunk for the movies. And, of course, you'll, for me, my plugs, you can check me out on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash akuma25 to follow me. And to follow the goings-on of the show, it is twitter.com slash mytakeradio. You can also find me on MySpace, RB198, you know, myspace.com slash RB198D. And if you're on Facebook, by all means, show, show your support and uh, check out the Facebook fan page. With that, this has been My Take Radio episode 18 for November 5th, 2009. I'm Rich, your host, and I will catch you guys next week. Peace.
You dumb asshole! <laughs>